Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 216 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 216. That's what Johnny LeMaster hit in 1982. It was his worst season as a professional. 1982 rhymes with boo, so there you go. That works out just fine. It uh, is a grand Giants legacy to have a shortstop who cannot hit even a tiny lick keep them out of the postseason. Uh, Johnny LeMaster, probably the difference between the NL West and not in 82. And uh, Hal Lanier, throughout the 60s, when you had five Hall of Famers on the team, uh, Hal Lanier hit like .012 for the whole decade. And, and it's, a, it's a grand uh, Giants tradition. It really is amazing how, you know, you look back and you see like the Mark Bellingers of the world who it's like you hit 189. We're good with that because you catch everything. (laughs) I mean, and how good would the Orioles have been with Bellinger and Brooks Robinson? I mean, nothing would get through. You don't even need a shift. You just, you know, just have those guys play on that side and and they catch everything. But, you know, the bargain is different now. And it's so different. It's, It's gone the entirely different direction where teams are like, yeah, you're stiff in the field. That's fine. Can you have a 900 OPS? We'll take that. That is going to make up for any, you know, um, balls you don't get to or any, you know, plays you butcher. And it's a, a bargain the Giants have struck. They struck it last year, and it worked. And they struck it this year, and they sold their soul at the crossroads. So um, <laughs> it'll be interesting, really, to see how they react to that. I mean, do they see it as one a one-year wobble, a weird thing that's not repeatable, and they, they're not going to challenge this sort of overarching philosophy to, to sacrifice defense for offense or or do they say you know what we, we we need to have a little bit of a well-rounded approach especially with no shifts it's sure it's one of many many conversations they're having as they sort of scheme for what uh, they need to do this offseason and what, what the next year's roster is going to look like i think it's fascinating it is and there are a lot of giants who hit 216 uh, in a season joey bart's there right now uh, darren ruff did it before he's traded to the mets i pick lamaster to segue seamlessly into the shortstop position because you wrote about brandon crawford and we talked about it some last time we were doing a podcast and uh, how his defense is looking a little bit better but you really did a nice job laying out the case that the giants this is one area that they maybe feel comfortable with next year and it makes some kind of sense but on the other hand that is where you can make that's where you can get the biggest bang for your buck that is where you can plunk down a whole bunch of money and get a hitter who can hit lead off or even clean up that's where you can do it so the giants have a really really tricky decision to make 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I give you a lot of credit because you sent me a, a message. You sent me Mike Petriello's uh, tweet showing that Brandon Crawford had a throw in Sunday's game. That was his fastest recorded by StatCast since 2015. And uh, I don't know what made you think, you know what, I, I'm going to throw this out there for you to write about. But the, I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. He's had a nice defensive trip. Then I started looking up all the clips, and I, I, and I just let watch them back to back to back. And I thought, holy hell. <laughs> this guy has won four Gold Glove awards. He probably could have won a few more. He's made so many incredible, just playmaking plays. Not even just like plays of sheer athleticism, but like, how did he do that? How did he have the body control, the spatial awareness, you know, to dive and then like like scoop throw underneath while he's you know vertically you know parallel to the ground? I mean, all these crazy plays he's made in his career. I think this might have been the best defensive road trip he's ever had, and he had it as a 35 year old uh, and a guy who's under contract next year but who has an OPS under 700. And there's a lot of free agents out there that are going to be, you know, potential difference makers, especially on the offensive side. So what do you do? What do you do if you're the Giants? Ultimately, I think the case that I made was everything is on the table. And I think everything does have to be on the table because you can't guarantee that Brandon Crawford is going to be as healthy as he was this past week. He's not going to have a road trip like that if he does battle some injuries. And we know Odds are he's going to be battling some injuries next year. So I think they do need to have more depth. They need to protect themselves. But is a consequence of, of this going to be, hey, Brandon, we need you at second base today. And for the first time ever, he's not going to play an inning at shortstop. And that's pretty rare what he's done to never, ever play another defensive position. It was kind of a neat rabbit hole to go down and, and, and see some of the guys who, you know, basically played their whole career at short, oh, except for this one game or except for these two <laughs> innings or two batters in Jimmy Rollins' case. So I think it's something he wants to have his whole career be as a shortstop. It's a pride thing. And, uh, you know, pride comes before the fall. And, and you, you know, you could argue that Cal Ripken was even prideful and, and, and put himself before the team. And you can make all those arguments. But I think all else being equal, Brendan Crawford would love to say at the end of his career that he never played any other position than shortstop and I'm not sure he's going to have that chance. Yeah, it's wild. You can make a lot of different cases and be right. And I think one thing about Crawford's defense is that when the metrics were down on him uh, to start this season in the first half and they were saying, look, he's fine, but he's not gold glove worthy, it felt like the eyeball test was confirming that. It felt like you weren't seeing that sort of wizardry that he uh, he featured last year when he won the gold glove. It matched what you were seeing. And I haven't taken a look at the defensive metrics lately, but I am gobsmacked by how well he is playing defense. And that makes me think, okay, we know that he is really struggling at the plate. And uh, if you look at the, the change in exit velocity, Brandon Crawford, I think, is top 10 in exit velocity decrease. He's just not the same hitter that he was last year. But do you want to ignore what he can offer a team, and he's already under contract? If you have the defensive position of shortstop settled, that's a huge win when you're trying to build a roster. But... That's where you can get the most bang for your buck. That's where you can get the leadoff hitters, the cleanup hitters. Does he have the bat even? Which, if he plays second base, you think, well, he's moving down the defensive spectrum, so he's automatically going to be a plus-plus second baseman. It's not necessarily how positional switches work. There's reads off the bat. There's an adjustment period that even greats like Brandon Crawford might go through. It's a tricky, tricky question, and I just don't know the answer to it. I, I'm assuming the Giants have at least a lead, but I don't have an answer to it. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit about, you know, what we were talking about Buster Posey before he went mm. into his last season, which is, well, he's going to move to first base. Well, he's going to move to first base. Well, he's, you know, he's a catcher until he can't catch, and then they're going to, you know, benefit from his offense at first base. And we got to the point where he was, you know, such a non-impact offensive player because of all the injuries he was battling that his value was as a catcher first before it was as an offensive player. And, uh, and obviously he ended his career when he chose to end it. And I, I think you could say the same thing about Brandon Crawford right now. It's what's the point of Brandon Crawford in the lineup as a second baseman with a six-something OPS? I think that his value right now is as a defensive shortstop, primarily. And, you know, I'm sure that he hopes and believes he's going to have a better offensive year next year. You know, he's mentioned that the lockout really prevented him from doing some of the things with with coaches that he really wanted to do. He's going to be a year older, too. But I think we've seen when he's healthy, he certainly is still an elite defensive shortstop. And uh, I think that's probably where his, his value is going to be to next year's team. And, you know, they do have Tyro Estrada, who I think has looked more comfortable as a shortstop than a second baseman. And mm-hmm. so you'll have him. And maybe if Crawford's in the lineup, then, then maybe Estrada can play some outfield. They've been toying with that lately. Maybe he can play some second base. So they, it's not like they have no coverage at the position. But yeah, uh, given just where the deck chairs are going to be and, and where some of the big opportunities are going to be to improve this team in free agency, it's a puzzle for sure. The trickiest part for me is can you in your, if you are doing some hypothetical rosters and you are are doing some war games and you're figuring out, okay, here's how we rebuild the Giants roster to be an above average, a contender next year. Can you do it with Brandon Crawford playing shortstop? Yeah, absolutely. You have a plus defender. If he hits just a little bit and you make adjustments around him, yeah, it's not that hard to see at all. The problem is with, for example, if the Giants don't re-sign Brandon Belt, if they want a first baseman and they want to get one on the open market, it's just not a robust market. It's Josh Bell, and that's about it. You know, maybe Anthony Rizzo if he opts out. And that's not that exciting. That is not, you punk him down and say, here we go. Here's the answer for the middle of the lineup. And you can do that for very few positions that you can't really get a second baseman who you can plunk down and say, finally, we fixed the offensive problem at second base. That guy's not there. That guy's not there at third base. That guy's not there in the outfield apart from Aaron Judge, of course, but I think there might be a tiny bit of competition for him. There just aren't that many places where you can really improve that Giants lineup shortstop is one of them so it's it's like a a perfect storm of that's where the talent is and that's where you have a, a reasonable solution in place and i don't know how you balance that out i think the giants generally prefer not to if they're paying brandon crawford that much money i would think they would like to pay him that much money to do a brandon crawford things at shortstop that would seem to be the the path of least resistance but they have to at least think about it they have to at least explore all those options yeah, I mean, for sure. Everything is on the table. Did I mention that? Everything is on the table. <laughs> and also, here, this is the table over here. Oh, look, everything's on it. Yeah, I, I just think they have to consider everything. They have the resources. They have, you know, a lot of soft places on the roster. If it were only as easy as, oh, Freddie Freeman's a free agent, let's just go get him. Or, <laughs> hey, Matt Olson is available in a trade. Let's just go get him. That was last offseason, unfortunately. And, and maybe there are some first basemen that could be... Um, gotten in a trade or, or there's someone you can make a position switch with or I mean who knows maybe a David VR breaks out and, and he becomes someone you could play at first base a lot or, or or who knows but I think that the marketplace kind of demands that the Giants go out and get 
a couple of players that you can pencil in the lineup every day and feel really good about. And there's not a lot of, well, you know, we hope that, that uh, he'll be ready or, or we hope this platoon will work. It's, it's more like you want some people you can bank on. I think that's what fans are starved for, and I think that's what, um, what they're going to try to find. And it's not going to be easy. Everything is on the table. Reminds me of one of my favorite genres of YouTube video where it's the cats that cannot stand anything on the table. And so you put a pen on the table and they knock it down. That is one of my favorite genres of YouTube video. So if everything's on the table, there's one cat out there that just cannot handle it. You know, there's a lot of times this season when I was watching Giants games that I would have rather been watching cat videos, I think. (laughs) That's probably where I went down that rabbit hole. it's, It's just, it's funny. I am not seeing... Uh, really anywhere where you can just go out and pay money for uh, an impact hitter, like you said, someone who can play every day. So if the Giants were to get, say, Andrew Benintendi, who still needs to be protected against same-side pitching, that's just going to be a little bit more of the same. It's going to be Jock Peterson in, in different clothing. Outside of Aaron Judge, outside of maybe Brandon Nimmo, uh, and that's stretching it, I just, I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it unless they have a secret plan to fix Joey Gallo. Yeah, and, and Nimmo would be someone who would you know, instantly improve their outfield defense. I mean, and you know that he's someone who gets on base a ton. And he also moves the game along quickly because when he draws a walk, he sprints to first base every time, <laughs> which is a, a fun little affectation that I know I've made fun of uh, on Twitter, but uh, but I, I do think is, is kind of a neat little deal that he does. So they don't have a billion choices, which is why I just wonder, it's so hard to make trades these days, but... You know, where's the creativity? I want to see some creativity. I want to see some three-team trades. I want to see some taking on some bad money here to to make a deal there. I'm ready to see some creative dealing this offseason. I think that's what you're going to have to see. If the Giants are going to substantially improve their lineup, I just you don't just go to Costco and pick up a six-pack of Aaron Judge. There's just only so much you can do when a player does or doesn't want to come over as a free agent for this reason or that reason. There's a hundred different reasons why Judge might not want to sign with the Giants. Uh, maybe there's a hundred reasons why he would, but you just can't assume. So a trade, a creative trade, a series of creative trades, that is what they're going to have to do. And as an aside, I just wanted to point out that when SB Nation was right in the middle of sending people like all over the world to do their stories and then practicing a little bit of austerity, I had this great idea where I was going to travel around Wyoming to explore what it was like in the only state that didn't have a professional team. And I was going to say, what does it take to play baseball in Wyoming? And for that story, which never got written because I never went to Wyoming, uh, I talked with Brandon Nimmo for a long time and he's just the nicest kid. He's just a nice young man. I was very impressed with Brandon Nimmo as a, as a person, as a human being. Um, so I just had to get that in there. I kind of, I, I like the idea of Brandon Nimmo. He's also someone who can play every day. He doesn't have to be protected against same side pitching. Yes, but I have to tell you that um, rodeo is a professional sport. And I, <laughs> I know this because Mason Saunders has told me all about it. It is a professional sport. It is prevalent in the great state of Wyoming. And by the way, I have to circle back because in my previous answer in the middle of it, I don't know if the microphone picked it up, but my doorbell rang. That is either the Amazon package of uh, the AAA batteries that I ordered or it's Aaron Judge and he's just showing up to say hello. <laughs> wants to know which way, which way to the ballpark. Have you written anything negative about him? Is he maybe threatening you? No, but that's a scary thought. He's a big right? dude. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, if he uh, is on the Giants and he's hitting 178, all my articles are going to be like, ah, that's all right. He's fine. Um, just because I don't want him to squish me into a little cube like a like a trash compactor. Right. Yeah, but you know what? It, it, I, I don't know Aaron Judge. I've never met him. 
But uh, I think whether it's it's an image that's been cultivated or it just is sort of the authentic person he is, I get the feeling he doesn't have a bad side. He just seems like a really good, solid dude and very likable and, uh, you know, works hard and, and seems to have a great attitude. And I know Austin Wins has talked about him a little bit because they played together at Fresno State. The home runs aside and the star power aside and everything else, I mean, he, he seems like kind of an ideal guy that you'd want to build your franchise around. Yeah. And I, do you think the Giants are still employing a no turds philosophy when it comes to roster building? Well, I won't name names, but <laughs> it's it's been a you know it's it's it hasn't been as hundred percent. And yeah, we don't have to go into uh, names, but I I think it's they've been scrambling a little bit this year. Let's just put it that way. They've used more players this year than they did in 2019, which floors me. Just floors me. And only ten of those players were in 2019 are in 2021, and most of those guys or a bunch of those guys are gone too, like uh, Stephen Duggar and um, Tyler Beattie uh, and Mauricio Dubon. So that just tells you the churn has been never-ending. And um, we heard Buster Posey talk about that during his um, uh, availability when they announced that he was uh, now going to be a principal partner of the ownership group. He didn't really talk about you know his whole vision for the franchise, but one thing he did mention was the importance of continuity and team building. And Evan Longoria said that as well. Uh, when I talked to him about it in um, when we were in Colorado, and I really think that you know it's not like Buster's going to be handed the reins to to you know remake baseball operations. He's going to be someone that is listened to, and whose voice carries a lot of weight. But I wonder, I wonder if there's going to be a tempering to some of this uh, coming and going. I mean, I don't understand why everyone messed around with Lewis Brinson for a couple weeks. Lewis Brinson, fine person, super nice, had a couple very nice interactions with him. But he was here for two weeks, and, and then he's DFA'd. And why didn't we have Elliot Ramos up for that time? I mean, what was the harm? They've already burned the option on him. Uh, I don't understand why they keep optioning Sean Jelly. Just give him Alex Wood's rotation spot. I think it's, uh, they're doing a disservice to some of their players by you know the constant uh, shuttling of people up and down. And at some point, you need some more just uh, continuity and, and giving people you know a chance to, hey, you're going to pitch every fifth day for the next month, and we're going to see how you do. I mean, what's, what's the harm? They're already out of it. This is a great point, because what are you going to see with, say, Willie Calhoun that is going to make you say, okay, you know, he's a part of the future. He is, yeah, we're going to rely on him for the rest of this year and maybe part of next year. What are you going to see from him that makes you do that? And if the answer is nothing, why is he there? Uh, what are you going to see from Austin Dean? You know, Austin Dean was up. He went, uh, what, three for eight, and he took a walk. What are you going to see from Austin Dean that is going to make you think, well, he's going to stick on the 40-man roster all offseason, and if the answer is nothing, why is he here? Same with Lewis Brinson. You can go through the Kevin Padlow, the Dixon Machado, I think was a, was a, an emergency. I get that, but Ford Proctor, Stuart Fairchild, all of these guys. What are you going to see from them where you are folding them into your plans for next year? And if you're not going to see it, or if you're not expecting to see it, isn't there a better way to use that roster spot? I mean, clearly they, they don't have the AAA depth, and they've used like 90 players. It might be up to like 93 or 94 by now. It's at least 90. So that's not, it sounds like, oh, hyperbole, oh, 90 players. No, they have. They really have. They really have used more than 90 <laughs> players at AAA Sacramento this year. And I think that speaks to just, you know, where their system is. They don't have even the organizational players to fill in, and that they've had to just grab people from other, you know, AAA flotsam and jetsam. So I think the disappointing thing is you thought we were through that. 
And we haven't been. We, we've returned right right back to where they were in 2019. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how many people survive the 40-man roster um, sort of pare down when they have to add people for the Rule 5 draft because they have to add a lot of people. They have to add Marco Luciano. They have to add, mm. you know, Luis Matos or, or risk losing him, which, you know, they, they might take that risk because he's a guy who, you know, struggled to hit 200 in A-ball, but he still is seen as one of the better hitting prospects in the game. So the tools are still there. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how many uh, spots they're going to have to add, but, you know, there's there's a number of people that I think they're going to want to need to add. And, and do you just go ahead and, and say bye-bye to Tommy LaStella right now so you can use his roster spot, you know, through the off season? I think probably you, you have to. But it's the churn at the back end that just, I just don't understand it. It just, I'm sure that, you know, these are very smart people. They know what they're doing. They're trying to be opportunistic. They're trying to scratch lottery tickets. It's like a free roll in a lot of cases. But I don't know if it's completely free. I think there is a, a cost that you pay, and that cost is, is a lack of continuity. It feels like, okay, if you really have a sense about a player, if you have watched this player and coveted him from afar and said, that is a player we've been looking at for a long time. He does everything well. Uh, maybe that's how they got Mike Yastrzemski. They went out and traded for Mike Yastrzemski. They didn't just get him on a waiver claim. They went out and sought him. That's different than... You know, this guy does this one thing well. Okay, let's let's uh, let's test him out. Okay, yeah, let's. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Luke Williams. Yeah, okay, let's let's test him out, and then to sour on them really, really quickly. It just feels like there isn't a plan, and it goes back to our first introduction to this style of roster building with Michael Reed and Connor Joe, where you thought, okay, the Giants believe in these two specific outfielders. They believe in them. And then a week later, they're gone. And it wasn't that the Giants believed in them. It was just, well, we think they might make us incrementally better. And that kind of roster construction is maddening. It's maddening to watch and analyze. Yeah, I think they did like Connor Joe. I think they did feel that he was someone uh, who, if he'd gotten a little bit of runway, could have turned it around. And, you know, that was 2019. It was the very first year uh, that Farhan took over. Bruce Bochy was still the manager. You still had a lot of veteran players on the team. I mean, you still do now, but you had Posey, you had Bumgarner. You know, there was an effort that we need to keep this pretty legitimate uh, and have Bruce Bochy go out, you know, with a, with a, at least a chance to win. And so I, I think they had to kind of move on from Connor Joe faster than they wanted to. I mean, there's no way that Farhan Zaidi wanted to trade for Kevin Pillar. Kevin Pillar is like the anti Zaidi player. But they kind of had to. They had no choice. They had to sort of, you know, pretty it up a little bit. And Farhan's talked about how he laments that that Connor Joe did not get the fair shake. But, I mean, then there's been dozens and dozens of other players that haven't gotten that shake either. I do think they thought a little bit more of Joe than some of these other people that they've shuttled in and out. I think the word that you've used is exhausting. And and we just just want less of that. And, and, you know, if you look at the teams that have used the fewest players, those are some of the teams that are kind of, you know on the back end of, of, of smart baseball. I mean, the Rockies have used, I think, like 41 players all year, and it's the lowest in the major leagues. And, you know, they're, they're kind of a Luddite organization. So I do think that, that you know, the movement and the volume, I, I think smart teams do that. But, yeah, I think the, it's just the volume's been cranked up far too high for far too long. The Rockies are fascinating as an aside. Every time I'm doing a search, they're somewhere uh, as an outlier where they have the fewest platoons in the National League uh, other than a couple teams. They have, if I remember correctly, let me just sort by this. Yeah, fewest pinch hitting at-bats in all the majors. I want you to try and guess how many pinch hit at-bats have the Rockies taken all year? Oh, wow. Well, let's see. We're about 152 games in. 
gosh, I would say the average team probably has about maybe 200, maybe I'd guess. So I'll go, I'll cut that in half. I'll say, I'll say 89. The Rockies have sent a pinch hitter to the plate 29 times this year. What? Two, two nine. Two nine times they have sent a pinch hitter to the plate. Yeah, I just don't understand it. Uh, you might be surprised to know the Giants are number one with 194. These are at-bats, I should say. They're not plate appearances, so I'm looking at at-bats. So uh, they, if they've had a couple of walks, okay, so they've had 40 pinch hit plate appearances, but... Man, oh man, that is just a team that is doing things very, very differently. And when you look at the results, uh, I don't know if it's working out so great for him. Well, I'm having a Hello McFly moment and I'm banging my fist against my forehead because I forgot there's this thing called the DH in the National League now. So I, I, <laughs> I was thinking in terms of last season, like, well, let's see, what would it be? And yeah, a little bit of different rules these days. So, but I still wouldn't have guessed 29. I probably would have guessed like, you know, 50 or something like that. But yeah, uh, it's just it, whatever they're doing, it's very different. And like I said, it's, it's just not working. So. So I don't know, every time the Rockies come up, uh, so if the Rockies are using fewer players than most teams, maybe use more players, but then you get the Giants, and so, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I, I love refreshing that stat about the Giants having the most played appearances with the bases loaded. I think I'll mention this in every podcast from Time <laughs> Eternal, because they got the bases loaded, and Evan Longoria got a two-run hit. They won Sunday's game in Arizona. It was a good game. They played well. Uh, they took the series. They swept four in Coors Field. We should probably mention that they went 6-1 and one on a road trip uh, against the, you know, obviously two teams they would like to feel that they're better than in the NL West, and, and uh, at least they can sort of I feel like there's a strata within the division, and they're in the middle strata, but not not the upper, not the lower, but not the lower. And now they're going to get the Rockies and Diamondbacks again uh, on this homestand. They will need to win, I believe, da, 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 six of nine to finish at 500, which I, I think is a, a good goal. I, they, you know, they don't want to finish under 500. It's not going to mean that they're doing anything exciting in October, but you know that that would be a nice way to end the year, I think. I am irrationally attached to the idea of the Giants finishing 500 or above. Uh, I don't know why, just aesthetically. I just, it, it would be too gross to win 107 games and then the next year uh, win 79. That just, it doesn't track with me. So I think that that is something to play for. And if you're in the dugout in the clubhouse, I think you care about that too. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but I think you care about that if you're on the Giants. I think you do. And, and obviously, uh, you know, like Evan Longoria said, you know, find the why is, is what they're telling everybody. You know, find your reason for why you need to keep competing. And, and other than being a professional, which should be enough reason right there. But, uh, you know, guys are playing for things. Like we talked about Brandon Crawford. He's, he's playing to make a statement for next year. And I'll tell you what, the last weekend of the year is going to might be a very interesting why, because they're going to play the San Diego Padres. And I know it's not as fun as trying to spoil the Dodgers. And no one likes to play spoiler. Bruce Bochy hated, hated whenever anyone would ask him about spoiler <laughs> roles, et cetera. But, you know, the Padres are, I think, what? They're up three games on the Brewers right now. Um, so they're in pretty decent position in that second wild card. But uh, we've seen the Padres Padre it up before. And and I, I, I just I think it's going to be fascinating if they enter that final series next week and uh, and the Giants could maybe knock them out. Uh, that, could, uh, that could make for some compelling baseball. I'll throw something out there. Uh, the Giants yeah. are eight and a half games back of uh, postseason position with nine to play. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, when you watch them on a road trip like this one, you think, yeah, they're good enough to be a playoff team. You know, and I've mentioned that bases loaded stat to Gabe Kapler, and he's like, you know, that just shows just how much just one year 
can just be different from another year. I mean, you have a bunch of outcomes go one way or another. And you look at their run differential, the Giants' run differential is plus eight. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they are uh, very slightly above average in terms of runs allowed and very slightly above average in terms of runs scored. I think if their bullpen had been better, they would they'd be much better at run suppression this year because the rotation has been pretty good, doing a lot of things they want them to do. But, yeah, I think this is a team that needed to be a little more offensively robust, like last year's team was, to be able to out-hit you know, some of the uh, mistakes that they would make, and obviously that hasn't happened. But, you know, if you're going to start from a place to go to next year, at least start with, you know what, we're average. We're very average because then you're not, you know, trying to strive to get too average, at least. You're, you're already there. So the Giants are having their second best month of the season. They're 14 and 10. They've scored 99 runs. They've allowed 86. That's a very good run differential for a month. Uh, so this is their second uh, best month of the year after April. And I will say that September is probably the, if you're going to have a lousy season, ending it with a good September is way, way better than having a good July heading into the trade deadline and thinking, oh, well, yeah, we're definitely in it. We're going to trade all these prospects and all we're just one piece away. If the Giants had done that this year, it would have set the franchise back a ton if they had been making these win-now trades. So, hey, if you're going to pick a month to succeed when you've had a lousy season, do it in September. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you look at the Diamondbacks, and they had a lot going for them, and they, they looked like they were playing better. And, and now you look up, and they've lost 14 of their last 20. So I think there is something to be said for finishing the year strong and just, you know, bringing some good mojo into the following season. Um, so I'm, I'm just looking to see who's hot right now. The Twins are not hot. They're, uh, they've lost eight of their last 10, and they're now five games under 500. The Pirates are not hot, but they've never been hot. Have they? No. Oh, for like, for like <laughs> oh, for three hours, they were a hot team. That's it. And how about the Cleveland Guardians? Uh, they have just raced to that uh, central title. And good luck to Scott Harris uh, as he competes against them in the uh, American League Central in future years. Uh, and also, uh, congratulations to Scott Harris for winning the very first grudge match of the Zaidi Harris Tiger Giant era when his uh, fighting double eight uh, team uh, in Erie beat. Uh, Richmond to advance, and we were <laughs> deprived because they they won the, in two games and did not. Richmond did not force a decisive game three. We were deprived of the matchup of Wilmer Flores, Tigers pitching prospect, against the Giants Double A roster. So we'll just have to wait for another day for Wilmer Flores to face Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores will be up to face Wilmer Flores, and that will be a delight. And yeah, you know we're out of time, so we don't have uh, time to belabor it, but. Uh, I'm a little sad about the Richmond uh, uh, team not not going and giving us a flying squirrel kind of October, uh, or not October, but uh, end of the season, because that is just a fantastic team. I just have yeah. really enjoyed following them all year. Yeah, they, they, they were really fun. I mean, uh, um, you know, Fitzgerald had a 2020 season. Uh, you know, Sean Roby hit a lot of homers. Obviously, Kyle Harrison doing what he did. And, uh, you know, one consequence of, of them bowing out is that uh, Casey Schmidt got bumped up to AAA, which is a little bit of an eye, eye emoji. So, hmm, you know, that's kind of an interesting one. We'll see how close he is maybe to, to making a debut next season. Uh, obviously, they don't have to put him on the 40-man roster yet, and they're going to need those spots for other people that are going to be Rule 5 eligible. But you could argue Casey Schmidt is as close to being an everyday position player as anyone in the organization, uh, you know, uh, coming up in the minors. And, and oh, and I should plug uh, David VR. Um, he has hit 34 home runs this year, the last giant to hit 30, 
five uh, in the organization wide was Barry Bonds in 2004. So it's time to pay a little bit of attention to what David Villar has done on all levels, even though he scuffled a little bit on the last series and uh, wrote a big old feature on him that is up on our site right now. And what is your number one journalism tip that you can share with the audience? Do you remember? Always talk to the mom. Always talk to mom. Yes, that is always talk to mom. It's it a really good piece. And I remember we've been doing this podcast since 2019, I think. And you singled out VR early. In 2019, you were saying, oh, this guy might be a comer. This guy might be a comer. And I'm looking. He's got a 755 OPS. He strikes out a ton. I did not see it. I totally forgot about him uh, as the pandemic canceled the minor league season. So he's been a delight. And so you were on him pretty early. Yeah, I remember seeing him when I went to Salem-Kaiser to do a Joey Bart feature and just watched him for like five days and thought, you know, this guy looks like a big league third baseman. And uh, he did flash some of that opposite field power. And I thought, I don't know, this this could work. So, you know, and he's having some growing pains now and, and, and did earlier this season. And it doesn't mean that the guy's going to be Adam Duvall. Uh, but uh, and, and defensively, I think, um, you know, there's still some work to do to find a, an ideal position for him, third base's best position. But I, I don't know if he's quite uh, to the point where you'd say he's league average. Uh, consistency has been a problem for him in the minors with making errors on, you know, uh, fairly routine plays. Uh, but he's got the physical tools, and that's a good place to start because you can polish up the rest. So, uh, But need to get to know him a little bit and, and talk to his family and, and, and share a little bit about his story and, and how he kind of turned himself into a big leaguer that no one really saw coming. So, um, so yeah, there, there you go. You heard it here first. David Villar is definitely the next Adam Duvall, right down to winning a gold glove in center field. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Which, Which we, we all, all saw coming. Yes. <laughs> all right, this has been episode 216 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back next Thursday. Yeah, we'll be there on Thursday, and we will talk about what in the heck happened against the Rockies. We will see you then.